You're listening to the Bag of Pucks podcast, part of the National Podcast Network. It's back to the children running the show. No more Jeffrey telling me that my 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 opinions are stupid, and that's the way I like it. Jeffrey will be back next week, though. He's just you know not on this week. But besides that, Jeffrey isn't home, so. The children run the show. Um, what are your thoughts about that, Anson? The children are we're wrong. I'll tell you that. Remember last week when we did our predictions for who's going to win and we might have ambitiously said 4-0 Vegas? Yeah. Um, as of this recording, Montreal's up 2-1 in the series. Man. We've had some really bad takes this year in general, right? Like not like starting with the freaking season preview. It's just been bad takes on bad takes on bad takes. I feel like though the the season preview the North Division really screwed us, but there was like logic to our picks. Like, you know, Vancouver though. Vancouver last year they went to like second round, Calgary, it's like they just you know, tooled up. They got like a legitimate goalie and everything, but then they just both shot the bed this year. Mm-hmm. And who else do we have? Like, no one picked Winnipeg. That's that's just a yikes. But you know, things happen. Just just rough. I don't know about you, but like, if you looked at outside of my North picks, there were still some pretty rough picks. I mean, you you stuck with Kings. That's your downfall. <laughs> I will continue to this day and stick with them. Yeah, you stuck with that, but you know that's fine. We all had Philly. Philly was a they had the was a even year bullshit. So next year we're gonna pick them again. They're gonna go to deep a deep run, but this year odd year they can't do it. Okay, but speaking of that, um, Kings and Habs. Have you seen the Habs nice. and just? No, the ha- sorry, the Habs and Kings, Habs and Golden Knights. I just love the Kings too much. Have you seen? Well, I don't know what's going on with the with the Habs this season, but uh, first couple rounds, they you know they played teams that had injured top centers, and now last couple games, you had Jeff Petrie with the bloodshot eyes, and yesterday Corey Perry looked like he slaughtered a chicken on the ice and got it all over his face, like. Holy cow, it's just been a series and a half. Corey Perry, holy crap. Do you know what I'm talking about? I, I Yeah, I actually saw that play, funny enough. It's just, I think a high stick. <clears throat> I like a high stick or like the puck hit him right on the noggin. It's just like, and he, he he looked like he had like a like a UF, WWE match, uh, match right there. It's just like his face, his face all bloody. Like you couldn't see half his face. That's insane though. But I think when it comes down to it, does this playoff series, these two playoff series, justify teams spending big on a goalie? Right, the last four remaining goalies who do we have? We have Vasilevsky, who's making what, 10 and a half? Oh, I, I thought it was like eight and a half, but yeah, sure. Eight and a half? Sorry, eight I and a half. So. I thought so. We have Carey Price making, was it 10 and a half? That's, yeah. Yeah, and then we've got. Mark Andre Fleury making, I'd seven. like to say eight, seven. seven. Yeah, and then we finally have that weird tandem of Islanders. I think they're the exception here, where you have 
Sorokin who should be playing for more money, and then we have Varlamov. I, I think they're the exception, but I think Varley's Varley has a five million dollar contract for two years, so ten over two. Yeah, but when we look at it, I think the two goalies that have stood out the most in the playoffs right now are Carey Price and Vasilevsky. Like two goalies you're making the most money, making big money, eight and a half, you know, and ten and a half million, eight yeah. and a half million. Yeah. Last couple years, I think we were starting to. I think maybe do we really need a high-paid goaltender? Like, obviously, you need a a good goalie, but you don't need one that's making eight million, eight and a half million, or whatever. Right? He's making nine and a half. Sorry, Vasilevsky, like nine and a half and ten yeah. and a half. So, those, yeah, is it maybe we start having the argument that we need to have high-paid goalies? Well, you look on the other side though, Bobrovsky. You got Carey Price, but you got. Bobrovsky on the other end you got like not that's a fair comparison you got like Flurry and you got Martin Jones right yeah there's a bunch of high paid high paid goalies that you know in our expansion draft like we chose to leave them unprotected specifically like that's a cap space that teams could use and I'm sure if Florida could I think they would not protect Bobrovsky because that's a $10 million contract. But I guess my other argument would be you have four goalies, four starting goalies left, right? Yeah. Three of them, three of the four high, three of the goalies in the remaining four teams are the four highest paid goalies, right? You have Carey Price and you have Bobrovsky, which, you know, and then Vasilevsky and then Fleury. Those are the, those are the four highest paid goalies. Three of them are still in the playoffs. Yeah, no, I know what you're saying. It's like the like give your goalie a high contract, a, a nice contract, and he, you know, he steps it up during the the playoffs. That's what we're seeing here, basically. Because realistically, like, how do I put this? In the in football, like NFL, your quarterback is the most important player of your team, and it's not even close, right? Yeah, yeah. Is there an argument to be made that your goalie is your quarterback, but in a less heavy, you know, waiting? <laughs> I can't speak this morning. Less heavy waiting, right? Like at the end of the day, if you have a, a really good goalie who's playing at the top of their game, you can kind of, you know, skimp out on defense a bit more. Not to the level of Florida. I think, that, I think Florida's defense might be part of the issue and they can't cover Bobrovsky as much. But, like, you can skimp out on defense a little bit more in the sense of, let's say, um, a Tampa Bay. I like how you say skipping out, but, like, I think their third line's like, Sergeyev and David Savard. I know. I mean, that was a really hard one to use. I, like, I know. <laughs> I mean, not Tampa Bay. That's probably... Tampa Bay's just stacked left, right, and center. But, like, uh, I don't know, St. Louis. Yeah, I, I don't know who St. Louis' third line is. I'll be honest with you. Their third pairing? No idea. Yeah. But I think, you, no, you're right. It's like John Gibson, you know, Anaheim was not great this year. Matt Murray, Ottawa wasn't great this year. But the rest of it, it's like Price, Bobrovsky, Vasilevsky, Fleury, Hellebuck, Bennington, like Highmarkstrom, I'm sure, Calgary. Um, but it's just like those guys all made the playoffs. Those guys all more or less carried the team there. Like without them, right? Like, like, would you argue without Hellebuck, the Jets would have made the playoffs this year? 
without Hellebuck, there's no way they would have made the playoffs. Yeah. Like, I think, yeah, even I think a perfect example is the Jets, right? If you look at the Jets, they there's no way they would have made a playoffs without their goalie, right? And, like, it's not even close. It's like they're not that as, a, like, a dig at them. It's just, like, their defense compared to, like, two or three years ago is not the same. It's, I don't think that's a dig when everyone knows, right? It's You're not attacking a player or anything. It's everyone's aware. Yeah, like, you went from, like, I think, what, Bufflin. Who was your top guy, other top guy? Morrissey? Morrissey's still there, but you went to Pionk, who, in defense, still really good, but not a Bufflin. Oh, yeah. Don't get me wrong. 100%. And I don't know who you have, like, Dylan DeMello, Tucker Pullman. Like, those guys are good, but compared to two or three years ago, it's just, like, night and day, I feel like. Like, you would, if you threw in, like, Martin Jones and Ned, you'd be like, yeah, I'd be comfy with that. Yeah, like, if you take out, if you take out a Hellebuck, you put in Martin Jones. Yeah, they're not making the playoffs. No. But, like, yeah, I guess the that's my point. It's, like, the argument is probably there where you're, like, you know, if you're a team that's, you know, contending or trying to contend, you probably want to put a lot of money in your goaltending. But at the same time, though, if you look at, you know, the top 10 goalies by Capit, you also see a lot of teams that are not very good, right? You got Gibson, Murray, Markstrom, to an extent, Quick. But I think there's a better argument to be made there with Quick being like, well, they won the cup. Like, the contract is sucking right now because that's expected. Right, they're in the window, so it's fine. But then you look one more, and then you have Jones, where you kind of, I guess, you're in the same argument as Quick, where you're like, you're at the end of the window, but Jones is early on his contract still. But like, there's a mixed bag once you start getting past the first couple ones, right? Where you're looking past Price, Vasilevsky, Flurry, and then you start looking, you know, weird places where it's just like, look at Ottawa. You know, paying your goalie a lot doesn't really do much. Same with Calgary, and then Gibson, who I think has the best contract in the entire league. Well, besides McKinnon, but yes, it's like... I would argue I would rather have Gibson's contract than McKinnon. I think they're about the same. It just depends if you want like a goalie making 6.4 or like a forward making, I think, 6.4 or something. He makes it cheap. I remember that. Yeah, I know. He doesn't make a lot of money. He makes 6.3 million, but hear me out. He's going to get his contract extension. When he's what, 26? Seven, eight, yeah, something 26, like that. 26, 27? Yeah, sure. It's 26, 27. Where then he's gonna get paid again, right? Gibson's contract yeah. is 6.4 million until he's 32. So his prime, basically. Uh, 32, 33, one of those around that time, yeah. At, so, like, there's still one, two, three, four, five, there's still six more years of Gibson's contract. Yeah, no, I get that. It's just, um, I, I, I think McKinnon was like, I'll take less money to help the team. So, sure, he's, he's going to get a raise, but like, I don't know if he's going to... But his contract right now, though, as a whole... Yeah, no, I get that. It's just, I think, then you're right. It's like, yeah, uh, Gibson has four or five more years of this thing, and it's like McKinnon, McKinnon's ends in like two years or next year. It's like, you know, depends on your... I guess it depends like on your needs. It's like, I feel more, I guess, quote-unquote comfortable having McKinnon because, like, you can see right now, it's, like, as good as a contract Gibson is, 
he can't do anything if you don't have a team in front of him. He has a 9.03 on the Ducks this year. That's ridiculous. Okay, but then I would also I'd argue with you again, being like, you probably get to a bigger argument. It's what's more valuable, your first-line center or your goalie. This is that the whole chicken and the egg, but like this is yeah, yeah, the one C yeah, or this yeah. or the goalie. It's just you can't really win in this scenario. Yeah, and I'd say I'd probably rather have the goalie, but again, king of king of bad takes a season. So you know what, you take it with a grain of salt. Um. Okay, so we're gonna just just slow back a little. You know, talking about best goalies and you know most best on ice player or whatever. We got to go back to the NHL player pool, and one of the questions they had is, "Who is the best goalie?" And Vasilevsky had fifty-four percent of the four hundred and seventy-three voters, which are voted by the players. I'm surprised that under four percent of people said John Gibson. Maybe I'm missing something, but like they showed the top five of, of the voters of the vote. Yeah, voters, votees. Yeah, yeah, um, and. Tuka Rask at 4%. He was the fifth highest vote. So under 4% of people, of players, voted for John Gibson. I thought it'd be higher. I'll be honest with you. Because 54% went to Vasilevsky. 8.88% went to Flurry, 8.25% went to Price. 5.07% went to Connor Hellebuck. And 4% went to Tuka Rask. I thought John Gibson would be higher. I'll be honest with you. You know what it might be, though? It's because I think the Ducks weren't a good team so overall you kind of take that team no matter how good they are with a grain of salt it's just like you know his under his he's a great goalie but like you look at it it's like as a st- statistical season it's like meh so i guess players kind of look at that too maybe they go you know as good as john gibson is it's like he was losing record his overall save percentage was meh gaa was okay actually that's not bad but it's like compared to the rest of these guys, I can see where they're coming from, but we also can't. I don't know if we can. Like, can we see the other 19% of who they voted? Probably not, right? No. Yeah. So I guess my question to, would be if the Ducks made the playoffs, does Gibson make a, get a lot more votes? Yeah, I would say so. Okay. In your opinion, who's the best goalie in the league? Currently, Vasilevsky. Yeah, I'd say Vasilevsky too. <laughs> I, I don't know how that's even like a debate. It's just he was unreal. He's he's getting better too. Yeah, that's the insane part. It's a, is it like a debate where it's like who's the best goalie? I think it's Vasilevsky, and then it's just like I'd argue like regular season Halibuck's up there, but then it's like the rest of the pool is just like it depends on the week. It's like you know, Carey Price might shit to bed for this week, but. Or, like, Flurry might have an off day or two. But, like, if you're going week in, week out, I'd say Vasilevsky and Halibut, I'd just be like, go for it. Like, I trust these guys on a, on a weekly basis. Yeah, definitely. Um, so we also talked about Nate McKinnon, and he was voted on two lists. So the first one, who is the most complete player? So 24, exactly the same amount of people, exactly 112 votes each for Crosby and Bergeron for 24-ish percent. Barkov was third, 14.65%. McDavid, 7.22%. McKinnon, 5.5%. Anze Kopitar, 4-ish percent. Who is the most complete player to you? As of like now, I I think that's Paul's right. I think Crosby and Bergeron are like 
in my opinion, I think Crosby is a bit more. He's like fifty five percent offensive and forty five percent defensive, whereas like Bergeron's like fifty five percent defensive and forty five percent offensive, right? I think they're like a little flip flop over one another, but I think that's perfect. It's just like I prefer Crosby just because of his like track record and what I've seen, and like I he he he's not scoring like a hundred points a season anymore, but he's like back checking and just you see him on the you see him during the plays on defense he's like there was a play where like i think someone's a breakaway and he just slapped his dick uh, his uh his stick right on him right perfect deflection and just like you don't see that five years ago ten years ago i think how do i put this i, I would rather have barkov as of right now as of no as two-way players i think barkov is better I think when it comes down to Barkov is criminally underrated just because of the market he plays in. If you look at the other other players that are on this list, you have a Penguin, a Bruin, an Oiler, an Avalanche, and a King. These guys are all big market teams. Edmonton, you know, big, in hockey-wise, big market. And then you have Florida, which is probably one of the fakest, not fake, smallest markets, right? Yeah. I think, like, if you look at Barkov, I think he is. There's a reason why he is the Selkie winner, right? He won the Selkie this year. Yeah. And if you look at, you know, just a high level of his stats 58 points plus 12. And you're like, plus 12. That's terrible, like, for a Selkie winner. You know, they have, you have other guys like you have Uyghur who went plus 29. But. I also feel like if you look at Barkov, he's you can. I feel comfortable deploying him in any situation. Five and three, he's my guy. I wouldn't necessarily put Crosby on a five on three. I would feel more comfortable with it with Barkov on a five on three. Or Bergeron, but yeah, you're you're talking about Barkov currently. Yeah, like it's. I think like Barkov's been very underrated, and this year was kind of like a little coming out party as quiet as possible still. It's just like, people notice him, but they're not giving him the fame that, I guess, he deserves. Yeah. It's like, you, you see all these guys, like Crosby, Bergeron, <clears throat> McDavid, McKinnon, Kopitar, it's like, they all, like, you've heard of them. You, you, you see them on the regular, on like, on TSN, or, or like, on your Instagram, just highlight reels. But like, Barkov's just kind of like, very quietly, just doing his job perfectly. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I don't know if maybe it's just because he's quiet, but we're going to go through a couple more. We're not going to go through all of them. Uh, a couple I just don't really care too much about going over. Um, so, I'm interested in your opinion on you have one game to win, one, posi- at one position, oh, sorry, one player. You have, you know, it's a, it's a fantasy thing where you can kind of just grab one player for one game. Who do you take? It has to be McDavid. I feel like just his offensive and like his speed, his vision, his shot. Just like you've seen Do him. Do you know? I, that's, I guess that's my question. I'm surprised that 4.5% of the 460 players said Bergeron. McDavid at 37% is highest, which I think is probably who you want to take. Crosby 23%. Here's where it gets interesting. McKinnon at 5.8%. I'm like, that's okay, I can see it. 3.5% of the players said Patrick Kane. Yes. Because do you remember the, the first quarter of the season he was dragging that team of a Blackhawks in playoff contention? 
I, but that's that's telling me they would rather have Patrick in the Connor McDavid, who has a history of dragging players teams to the playoffs. I guess you maybe you have Drysaddle as your second, right? Yeah, but I feel like without like David Drysaddle wouldn't be Drysaddle, right? Drysaddle, de- yeah, definitely Drysaddle wouldn't be as famous or efficient. I guess yeah, is the right word. But I think he'd still be really good. I don't know. I would. I would rather have McDavid. I'm just surprised that people would say. I thought this would probably be. I thought this was going to be a a much a four person race where it be McDavid, Crosby, Vasilevsky, and I thought Hedman would be on there. There's no defenseman on this top on this top six. That's where I was like, oh, interesting. I guess. I guess yeah. I guess you need two defensemen to do something. I guess yeah, like a pair. I guess. You know, going back, going back one thing, and just the whole complete player. I feel like Drysad was a bit. He's not on it. I was he. Do you feel like he's a complete player though, or no? I think he suffers the same thing from Barkov, where there are bigger focuses. I think you could argue that part of it is that he's German and not Canadian. <laughs> okay. In the sense that you get less focus in the media. You know, Canada, I guess, in a way, how do I put this? We're not used to successes in sports as much. And you see that a lot when it comes to, like, tennis or golf. Where they're just like, oh, my God, look, a Canadian is being successful. And then all the focus gets on there. And it you kind of suffer from that, too, with Edmonton, where it's just like, they're doing really well. Let's focus on the guy who's more marketable, who will draw more eyes to the TV. And I think McDavid or Drysaddle, McDavid draws more eyes. Easily, Just, yes. Yeah. Yes. So he kind of suffers from that too. In terms of defense with Drysaddle, I think he's a very good defender, but I don't exactly know if he's the most complete player. Yeah, I, it's it's fair. It just also just like like how do I put this? Yes, this year he was a plus. He was a plus twenty nine. So that looks amazing, right? But then if you go backwards, last year he was a minus seven. <laughs> oh yikes! Yeah, so he kind of bounces every year in the NHL. Where the first year he played, I think I don't think it's fair, you know, to judge him off his first year. Um, so we'll skip the first year where he was a minus seventeen, but then he was a minus two, a plus seven. Minus seven, plus two, minus seven, plus 29 this year, right? So I think it's hard, right? Because then it's not fair in the sense that I just said Barkov plus 12 or whatever it was. You know, that's still very good. And then we go like, well, you know, dry settle plus 29, you know, is that anomaly? Right? I, I get it. It's I totally get it. But I, I don't exactly feel like dry settle is a great defender he's an elite offensive player don't get me wrong but i don't know right? like this year his course he just shot up right and the issue i kind of have i guess in a way is that his pdo was ridiculously high 106.4 you can argue that it's luck but you can also argue that he's a career player who starts on the offensive zone so this year 61.4 percent of his zone starts were in the offense. His career sixty point four, where you kind of mean it. Kind of just shows that you know they trust him to play offense, and why the hell not, right? And then if you look at a player like Barkov, 
his PDL is much more near that 100 level, right? Where it should be like the luck is about average. This year, 98.3, you know, but average 100.8. So he's relatively close to the average distribution. And then we look at zone starts, it's 54 and 45, right? Still not, you know, at that, you're starting that defensive zone, but at the same time, like, it's fine. You know, it's not so big of a, a difference. Um, you know, you can always compare it to a Bergeron who has 50.7 and 49.3. But my, po- my point is there. <laughs> my point is there. Where it's just like, you trust him to play offense, so he doesn't play much defense. He doesn't have to play much defense. Yeah, no, for sure. It's just like, you know, would you rather have a guy who's kind of scores, like he doesn't play defense, but he scores like six goals a game for you, or just, you know, a guy who shuts it down, but doesn't score for you, right? Mm-hmm. It's kind of the debate you kind we're kind of having there. Uh, are, are there any more here that you want to go through with like? Yes, yeah, so there's one. There's actually two more. I'm gonna go through. It's very quick. Um, who has the best shot in the league? I'm not. Uh, Ovechkin was first with four, almost 49, percent but the two I want to go through was Shea Weber at five percent of votes. Mm-hmm. Besides his slap shot, <laughs> like if you take away the slap shot, he's not even close to that, right? But I think it's because his slap shot's so good that they're putting it up there, right? It's like he's the only defenseman on this list. Yeah. And it's like he's above Lightning, which is, you know, this season he was not great. But it's like Shea Weber, whenever he takes a slap shot, you have to take notice. It's like... You have to get out of the way. Well, that or you just got to, you know, just make sure you have eyes on the puck some way or somehow. So I'm, I'm like, you know, like in terms of defenseman, I get it. So it's fine. But the one that really confused me was 14 players out of their, the people they, they um, interviewed said Patrick Line had the best shot in the league. I know he's got a great shot, but I don't think he's the best in the league. Okay. First of all, I had him for like, we had him for like half a season, if that. Um, But we had... It's like, yeah, if you see who has the best shot, it's like, it's got to be Ovechkin or Austin Matthews, right? And, like, I feel like Pasternak is a little low. I don't know how you feel about that. I feel like he should be higher. Um, But, no, I don't think Line this year, especially this year, it's like he, if he, you know, figures out, figures out like he did initially in, in uh, Winnipeg, then yes. But this year is not great. It's just like he had a couple of great goals couple of like great like just one-timers but overall it's just like you know being deployed the wrong the wrong like situations doesn't help obviously but i don't think he should he i think he's a great shot i don't think he's the best shot in the league if you're if you're like hey who is the best shot not patrick line yeah so like patrick line gives me the reminder of hall a very good shot you know what? Like in the sense, like you would say that in terms of tiers in the league, Vetchkin's got a Hall of Fame level shot. I'd say Pasternak's got a Hall of Fame level shot. I get a, I get the vibe of Hall of Very Good when it comes to line A shots. Yeah, like it's it's there, but I think if he, you know, in these next couple of seasons he figures it out, then it's gonna be you know deadly, really deadly. I think it's like in the right position. Yes, he is like. He is one of the best shooters, but um, there are times where it's like he kind of panics and just you, you know, you've seen him in Winnipeg. It's just like he panics and kind of just like 
dangles a bit, whereas like he could have just shot it. So I feel like he has to figure that part out and just be like, I'm not going to try and dangle you. I'm just going to shoot it because I can't do that. Yeah. All right. So there's one more I want to talk about, and it was the best defenseman. Okay. What do we got? It was just a runaway with Victor Hedman. Like, I get it. Victor Hedman's the best defenseman in the league, but I didn't think it'd be that obvious. You know, 65% of players said Victor Hedman. So I was surprised there. Um, Yossi being up there, I, I, I understand that. Kale McCarr being at 7%, I was like, huh, that seems a little high. And then I saw Drew Doughty at almost two, almost 3%. And I was like, what? Don't get me wrong. Love the Kings. Absolutely love the Kings. But, you know, I, I, I can tell that Drew Doughty is not the, one of the best defensemen in the league. <laughs> right? Like, at the end of the day, um, he had a very good season. Yeah. But I don't think that he had a season where it was like, huh, you know what? I I, I, I could see being being the, you know, number best player, best defenseman in the league. 13 players said that too. I'm a little surprised there. You know, out of the top five, uh, we had Seth Jones and Miro Heiskin on top. Uh, at six and seven, sorry. I would probably pick Seth Jones over Drew Doughty at this point. <laughs> Like currently, like as of, as of this season and like kind of next couple of seasons moving forward, you're saying? No, no. I would say Drew Doughty's probably not as good as Seth Jones at this morning's career. Don't get me wrong. You know, when he was at his prime, yes, best defenseman in the league and easy argument, right? Oh, he you was... know who who's not on this list? Who? Uh, Petrangelo. And I don't think Petrangelo's top defenseman league. But Drew Doughty is, apparently. I think that's one of those legacy picks. Kind of like how people said Tuka Rask was the best goalie in the league. Or kind of have, um, I don't know. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know here. I'm, I'm missing some more. Like, it's one of those like legacy picks more than anything. Yeah, I think also, like you can't remember, like these are just players' picks. Some of them might be like, skewered towards their own teammates i don't think like if you look at so the it's about 470 players they asked right yeah divide that by 30 31 you know it's not just one team right there's not enough players unless like i'm assuming that's you know equal distribution right i have no clue if they're like hey let's just only ask north division players right so like unless i'm just equal distribution per team um it's not just one team right Right, like if you do four hundred seventy six divided by thirty one, you get about what seven ish players per team. Fifteen. Oh, sorry, fifteen. Oh, so maybe maybe you are right. Maybe you are right. Where it's one team just being like, we are all going to collectively pump up our player. Like, what if like not that saying is true? It's like, what if you you ask Drew Doughty's partner? It's like, hey, who's the best defenseman you played with? <laughs> Drew Doughty's out, out handing twenty dollar bills to everyone who votes for him. <laughs> like, like not saying like, you know, but it's it's possible that you know the whoever's doing the things like, who is the best defenseman? You're like, well, I only played with Drew Doughty this year, so Drew Doughty it is. Yeah. Okay, but speaking about best players, Rob Brindamore being coach of the year for 2021. I I. Maybe if you ask me if they voted at, in the middle of the playoffs, I would say Dominic Ducharme probably has a better 
chance. But if we look at the regular season, Deshaun wasn't the coach for half a season. <laughs> I get, I know, I know. But like, is the Jack Adams not just a hey? You exceeded expectations award. Yeah, no, hundred percent. Yeah, and if you look at the playoffs, then yeah, definitely they just exceed expectations, right? I know he's not there for half the season, but the arguments to be made where it's like the players had half a season to implement a system and look what they did. Oh, but but I think all these awards are based on just basically, I think, regular season. Like, playoffs don't matter. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. If, if we included playoffs, you probably get to include Ducharme, right? Like, let's be honest here. Who are the finalists? You had... Dean, uh, uh, the, the wild coach. Yeah, Dean Emerson, I think his name is. Right? Yeah. Uh, and Joel Quenville on the Panthers. Do you really include Joel Quenville? I say yes, because, you know, none of us had Florida on our list, and they were second or third in the division. I guess. Because if you look at, what's his name? Um, Joel, um, Dean Everson. Look at Minnesota Wild. Take out Carol Kraprasov this year. I, I don't necessarily see that you go too far. Well, that's fair, though. It's like, But that's also like saying, like, take out Mike David, and you don't see Oilers going that far, which is not that far because they got swept. Um, but, but, you know, it's just, it's, I think the thing with the Wild, the Wild is like, this season, they were signaling like a rebuild, retool, just like, you know, fire sale letting the young guys play. But then they did so well that they made the playoffs. I don't, I don't know if it's well, because, you know, the division, if you look back at it, it's like it wasn't as great. A few teams weren't as good as expected. Um, but they got third, so there's that. Um, but you weren't expecting the Wild to be this good this year. That's basically the Jack Adams award. It's like, yo, you, you made your team good, and you, we were expecting you to be kind of bad. Yeah, interesting. Okay, so speaking of Kirill Kaprizov, do you see the report from Kirill Kaprizov from the from the Wild that he might leave the Wild to go to the KHL? From Kevin Weeks, as of now, talks with Rookie of the Year Kaprizov in Minnesota Wild have gone cold. My understanding, he's in Moscow, and it's believed CSK is interested in signing him for KHL and the Olympics. So he what he comes here to North America for a year lights it up, takes the calder, goes home, and goes, look at this new shiny trophy I got. Okay, but hear me out, though. You know, if you look at Kirill Kapazov. You know, he's a, he's a Russian player. KHL likes to just absolutely dump money on Russian players, right? Yes, and, like, we, there's a track record of just players going home to Russia just because they prefer it there, right? Yeah. They don't necessarily want... The highest, not everyone has the same drive of playing in the highest competition. They want to be with family in in Russia and everything, right? Yeah. Like, Kobochuk had that a few years ago. Um, whoever, like, guy the Vegas signed when they first joined the league, he left. Yeah, like, I, I get it. Like, you definitely make the argument that, like, it's less, right? So, that this year, Shibachev, the player you're mentioning, went back to KHL for $1.757 million, right? But with the cost of living in Russia, you can probably do a lot with 120 million rubles a year, right? It's 
you know, it's, at the end of the day, it's not as expensive to live in Russia than it's in, you know, USA. And you get to play in front of your family, your friends. And, you know, there's an argument to be made if you're a Russian player who, you know, grew up idolizing Russian players, the gold medals in the Olympics is more of a draw than the Stanley Cup. Like, at the end of the day, hear me out here before we go on a tangent here. You only have, like, what, three, four chances to win a gold medal? If that. Yeah, if that. You know, you really only have about three, four chances. But if you go to play in the NHL for a 15-year career, you, you, in theory, have about 15 chances, right? In theory. In theory. Like, I get it. Like, you know, playing on the Sanders for a 15-year career versus playing for Team Canada, you know, three, four times, you can argue that you're more likely to win a gold medal than this to win to win a, a Stanley Cup, right? Yes. But you get a chance to win, and you get a chance to win a gold medal, become a national hero, get paid a little bit, get to play in front of your family and friends, you know, and if you are, uh, you haven't learned English, you know, you're more comfortable in public, you know what I mean? Like, it's easier for you to go out and, I don't know, order food at a restaurant. You know what I mean? It's like it's, It could be the little things, right? Also, like, keep in mind, like, this year, Caprizov was here, but he didn't, like, go anywhere, right? I don't think. It's just, like, I think most of the time they were, like, go from your hotel room or apartment to the arena. Yeah. Right. Because of the whole COVID. It's like, don't go out. Don't drive out. Don't do anything. Just go from... That point A to point B. And if you do anything else, sanitize. That's the whole, I think, the whole thing with the season. But um, I, I don't think, realistically, I don't think uh, Caprizov is going back home. I just think uh, they're playing hardball at the moment and it's a negotiating tactic, if anything. It's just like, hey, you know, Russia is looking nice, you know. Be ashamed if I went back. What if you, unless you know, you put me eight million dollars, then I'll consider staying. Yeah, I, I definitely think it's a it's a negotiation tactic. Don't get me wrong, um, but at the same time, you know, if I'm if I'm CSKA Moscow, you know, one of the biggest teams in the KHL, how do you not snoop around? Like, think if you think on it on a player term great player right like you know it's an exciting team and everything perfect and if you think of it on a marketing level level that's even better think about the jerseys you'll sell you know he's not he probably isn't making that much this year anyways right like on an nhl card he probably makes what three and a half million on a bridge deal oh you mean this if he signs an extension yeah it's it's either a bridge deal or it's going to be like a long term yeah, I, I can't imagine him signing a long-term door. Now, at the end of the day, the body of work isn't there, right? Like, don't get me wrong. Very good player. I'd very much hate it when he plays the Kings. But he only has one NHL season. And the KHL, yes, he's above a point-of-game player. But at the end of the day, look at all the players who come here from the KHL and they just flame out, right? Like, they're not – it's not the same game at the – playing the K and playing in the NHL, right? But like there's a reason why Peter Holland is one of the highest paid players in the KHL. 
Oh, that's sick. I didn't realize he was in the KHL. Yes, uh, he's one of the highest paid players. So is Taylor Beck. Oh, that's okay. Nice. Good for them. I'd say that's good for them. <laughs> um, props to them. You know, go to Russia, make a lot of money, see the culture, have fun. Yeah, no, I'm, that's good for them for sure. Um, but yeah, I I can see that. There's like it's a caution. You can't you can't you don't want to give them like an eight by eight to Kaprizov because it's like, but what if what if this is like fluke? Doesn't seem like a fluke currently, but um, there's always that possibility of going. Um, you know, what if he's only like a fifty point player over an eighty game or yeah eighty game season? And you give him eight by eight. Yeah. That's kind of like a... Then you're stuck with another long-term contract after getting out of Suter and Parisi's contract. Mm-hmm. And that's not... You don't want to do that. So it's like... I guess that's what Bill Guerin's stuck about. It's just like he... Got to figure out... Do you want to give him an, a long enough extension? You know, to make him... to You know... So your window when he's... Com- when you're competing again, he's still here on a really nice deal or do you want to go like here's a long-term contract relatively shorter or lower av but security like more money over more term because like i don't think it's going to be similar per se because one was in the uh, one was you know younger but if the worst case scenario is probably like what ely tolvanen yeah Right, that's the worst case scenario, right? Like he, you know, in the KHL, thirty-six points in twenty-nine games, and I know that's less than one a one a game, one point a game, and Kaprizov was above one per game, but and that's comparable to that. I had the first thing that came out was Ely Tolvanen, and if you look at it since then, like he just needed time to develop, right? Took a couple years in the AHL. And then this season, 22 points in 40 games. That's fine. If you want to pay that player like that, you know, a million, a million and a half, two million. And then Kaprizov is obviously better. So I came with a three and a half million. But then do you really want to be playing eight million, for example, to a guy with just one season of work? That's your issue. It's just he's, I think he's RFA this year. Yeah. So, and he's not, he's not old, but he's like, He's 24, so it's like, you know, it's, it's the whole Panarin situation, I think. It's like, do you want to get, I think you could give him like a bridge DLC, how he does for the next couple of years, and then hope that you can sign him to another extension. Because this is, honestly, God, this is just the whole um, Panarin situation when he first came over. It's just, he's a bit of an overager, but you have to sign him to an extension, otherwise you lose him for nothing. Yeah. This is the unfortunate thing. Okay, so speaking about like interesting deals, Jason Spezza. I've got one more very interesting deal we're going to talk about after, but Jason Spezza, 750 again for Leafs fans. Is this not the ideal situation if you're the Leafs? Yeah, yes. But also, doesn't him resigning means that you have to protect him? Um, I'm pretty sure you can, pretty sure they're not going to pick Jason Spezza, A. And can you not just file the. File the contract after July first. <laughs> I think they already signed him, though. Yeah, but you'd file it at, on July first. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I get what you're saying. Yeah, um, this is he's 38. Jesus Christ. Yeah, like 
you're not taking a 38 year old player, right? Like, especially you can follow it now, especially when you have a guy like Jay Spence who's just like, pick me, I'll just retire. Screw you. That's what he did on the Lakers, isn't it? He yeah, was if like, you do that, like you're Seattle, you're like, all right, I'm not not picking him up because like that's just a waste of a pick too, right? But you pick him up, he's just gonna retire. He said it. He told everyone, right? Like, and the moment you pick me up, I'm retiring. You're Seattle. You're not running that risk, are you? You don't want to run that risk. You can have a productive player like a Travis Dermott instead. Yeah. Uh, do you know how many points Spets had this year? Uh, a lot. If you look at his five by uh, five on five and uh, six per sixty, he was like top five. <laughs> he had ten goals, twenty assists for thirty points in fifty four games. It was, it's over a half a point a game. Uh, but that's exactly what you need if you want to be a, a cup contender, right? You need depth pieces like that. No, it's exactly what I'm saying. Just like he could easily get like honestly got like a thirty million over two or like you know six million for two years somewhere else. But he's like, I want to win a cup in Toronto. Yeah, and I, I think this is the type of stuff you need if you want to be a contender, right? So signing like old, not old, but like nice cheap contracts to like veterans. Productive depth pieces. Yes. Because like, let's be honest here. I think the two ways to do that is you either sign them like a Jason Spezza when they're a bit older, or you do what they've been doing this season, where it's just like bring the third team and, you know, bring down the cap a little bit, right? The cap hit. But you only have so much you can do, right? This season, they only have their second, fifth, and sixth left. Next season, they have their first, second, and seventh left. They already traded their third, fourth, fifth, sixth of next season already. 2022. Yeah. Jesus. Like, don't get me wrong. The Leafs, I think, are actually in a better position than a lot of people believe they are um, in terms of depth because of the commitment that Kyle Dubas has had off the ice. So when we looked at Mikheyev... When he got hurt. Um, and who else was the other KHL guy they signed and then traded to the Sharks? Barbashev? Barbashev, yeah. Just the commitment to say, hey, we can't play you. We will trade you. And when it, you know, building those relationships with those KHL agents or Russian player agents, um, where it's like, okay, you know what? Look, we're not going to pay you top dollar, but we have a commitment to you that you know what if we can't play you we will trade you to, to an area where you can get paid yeah they did that with uh Lekkinen. they traded into the jackets yeah so it's those things i think being able to have those relationships and that reputation to you where you can just go in the hl and just kind of do your thing and the hl the khl and do your thing makes this team a lot deeper than people think yeah and also just like you have you have your basically your top six more or less like secured obviously um it depends on hyman's coming back because that's a whole different can of worms but it's like you can convince other old aging veterans to join your team like nick felino might be back next year to because he didn't really play a whole lot or like he didn't bring a whole lot this year it's a little optimistic to think nick felino would come back just realistically what do they have in terms of cap space? Yeah, but he could sign like an, an, a nice, like cheap deal, like a one over, I don't know, like 1.5 or two. Right. You think Nick Felino's coming for $2 million? 
He could. Like, he's 33. I think this is his one last big payday, though. You know, I think he goes for, like, three years, you know, 18 million, 15 million. You think someone's going to offer him $5 million a year? You know what? You're I don't maybe think like so. a four, three, four million, three, four million. I think he goes around for three or four million. Yeah. So it's like, but I think he, it also like depends on who offers it to him, right? It's like he want he might want to come back to the Jackets because that's where his home is. He might want to go to the Wild. That's where his brother is. Or he could just come back to Toronto because, you know, his his dad played here and he and in technically fully no. Again, like I said, he didn't do as well this year, so you might want to run it back and just try again this year. Just a one-year prove-it contract? Yeah. Interesting. I don't know. I'm not as optimistic as you are about that one, though. It's a possibility. I just don't know. And, like, Galchenyuk, you know, he his value went up, so he might come back on a... Not cheap, but he's 27, so I don't know about that one. I think if you're Galchenyuk, you probably try you come back at a, like a small raise like a you know run, this year is one year 1.05 was it i don't know it's something like that yeah i think you come back at like a one year 1.3 1.25 million yeah like there's a few guys i think if you're dubious you can convince be like hey like you know you won't get top minutes but we can guarantee your playing spot and like you if you're gouged you're like hey you can play with if if Hyman doesn't come back, you can play with Matthews and Marner, or you can play with Tavares and Nylander. Yeah, like here's we're not gonna pay you top dollar, but we're gonna inflate your stats. Where next year you can go go get paid. Yeah, exactly. Or you know, possibility get out of the first round, be be something historic. Create that. What's the word I'm looking for? Um, create that body of work that I keep mentioning. Yeah, pad your resume basically. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Um, so, one last thing I did want to talk about in terms of contract, I did mention Rick DiPietro, baby. That is a hefty contract. So, I think there was it. They're halfway done his buyout. Um, it started in 2013-2014 and it's ending in 2018-2019. No, that's his contract, not the buyout, though. Oh, his contract in theory ends this year. Is it? Yeah, 2020, 2021. His contract's over. When is his buyout till? His buyout's till 2028, 2029. That's what I just said. I totally was not listening. <laughs> that's what I just said. I said, if, but if, if you pay his normal contract, it's, it ends this year. If you, if you stuck it out the entire way. It's, it's, it's weird, though, right? Like, you... You never want to see the reason why he was, you know, he was bought out because of injuries, right? Yes, he could not stay on the ice. And, okay, by the same point, if he, let's say he played the entire time, right? Sure. Would you really want to be paying four and a half million to a 39-year-old goalie either? Well, didn't they pay you a little longer more? Or didn't Florida do that? But. I guess, but like. I think you can partly place the blame on Gar Snow. At the end of the day, he he signed his entry level deal. Yes. Signed a one year deal worth two and a half million. That's pretty good. And with those four years of four years of body of work, they're like, let's sign into a fifteen year deal. Like this was the season, this thing, this was the offseason where everyone was like, you get a fifteen year deal. You get a fifteen year deal, right? It was like Cole will check out a fifteen year deal. 
Um, who else got a 15-year deal? Weber? Oh, I think that was later, but yes, I think you're right. Not 50, yeah, yeah, like, this was when everyone was getting a 15-year deal. That was before the CBA was like, you can't do 15, you gotta do 8. Yeah, it was like, guys, like, what the hell? <laughs> they tried, yo, here they tried with Kovalchuk, they tried 16 for 100, but then the NHL stepped in and was like, no, you can't. You literally can't. The guys, this guy's twenty nine or something. You can't pay. You can't make him sign a contract till he's forty something. Yeah, and like, well, let's be honest here. It was like everyone. Part of the reason why everyone was like, "What the hell?" was like everyone knew he was gonna go like to the KHL eventually, right? Like this. This was around the time when Ovechkin got thirteen years. Weber got fourteen. Crosby got twelve. Suter and Parisi got thirteen each. You know, Duncan Keith got 13 years. Oh, Jesus, Just I forgot. Hosa got 12 years at one point. Did he really? Wow, okay. Yeah. Uh, Jordan Stahl had a 10-year. Quick had a 10-year. Carter had an 11-year. And then you got traded to the Jackets right after that. You th- This was around the time where everyone got crazy deals. Like, Johan Franzen got an 11-year deal at 29 years old. What? Yeah. This is... That's, this can just be an entire new segment next week. Just on... Just insane deals. How long did this person sign for and for how much money? Sure, we can do that next week with uh, with Jeffrey. Um, but yeah, Johan Franzen signed a 11-year, $43.5 million deal. Zetterberg has a 12-year. I, I get it. The Zetterberg, like, if you looked at the other players who were getting these insane sorry, sorry. deals... Yes, you're right. It is Zetterberg. Sorry, yeah, go on. Right, like... If you looked at the other players who were getting these insane deals, who was it? It was, you know, Duncan Keith, like Crosby, Ovechkin, Suter. Like, obviously, they signed it at a younger age. Don't get me wrong. Zetterberg signed it at 28. Never mind. 28. Like, you know, where the rest of them was, right? Like, Shea Weber's 26. Suter and Parisi are 27 each. You know? Not ridiculous. I genuinely think it was ridiculous. Um, I guess Franzen was just like, interesting because he signed his I think in 2009 that's when he signed his insane deal and in 2009 Johan Franzen uh, sorry sorry the 07 yeah 0809 was his most productive year he had 59 points in 71 games yeah I think I think Parisian um Suter was I think in the 2010s 2009 yeah so it's around the time where people were signing those insane deals yeah but like let's let's be honest here. There was no way Franzen was going to be worth almost four million dollars at age thirty nine or forty when the deal was nearing its end, right? But yeah, like none of these guys are realistically. Yeah, I, I would say Ovechkin's probably still worth it. Sorry, yes, but I, I mean, what? But besides Ovechkin and Crosby, and I guess Weber. I guess who who else would was kind of like worth that ten plus years of commitment? Uh, I would I would probably argue that okay yeah it's gonna sound, I'm gonna sound like a homer, but probably quick. I mean this season he fell off a cliff, but I'd say he's been reasonably good for his entire deal. Yeah, because it's also like. It wasn't out. I'd say it wasn't outrageous. I think it wasn't great, but I don't think it was like 
you knew that all these contracts, you know, the last couple of years, say for Crosby or Ovechkin, is going to be like not great overall. But um, like Jordan Stahl is still pretty good. That's the one I was looking at too. I was going to bring up like underrated player, Jordan Stahl, six million. And to how many more years does he have? One or two. One or two, right? Like that's definitely not that bad of a deal. 2023, right? Free agent 2023. So he has what, two years left? I think he's still, it's it's starting to be like close, but at 6 million and we look at the, the what 6 million gets you in the NHL nowadays, I, I don't think it's that bad, right? Like if you look at, we're going to look at cap friendly here, obviously, because it's, it's the kids running the show. There is no, there is no um, prep that goes on, right? At six million as a center, you get Brock Nelson, Dylan Larkin. Barkov has a crazy deal, but like I'm just looking at up and down, right around uh, Jordan Starr on six I million. Everly, Everly's not a center. I'm looking at centers, um, right? Like you have Brock Nelson at six, uh, Dylan Larkin at six point one, and then you have Nick Schmaltz at five point eight five, Adam Henrique at five point eight two five. I don't think that's that bad of a deal, you know. At thirty two years old. I would ideally I would have preferred maybe a year or two less, but I get I guess I get it when that you know you pull back to the years, your your AV goes up right. He would probably you know it's like a nine year seven million for example or whatever right. So I get it, but I think that's probably one of the better deals out there. It, it's underrated. Like don't get me wrong, but you know I I don't see the value of a twelve year deal for Marion Hosa. That's probably the worst out of all of them. At 30 years old, like, did you actually think he was worth 5.275 million at 42? <laughs> yeah, but that was when also, like, again, like, this is when before the CBA was like, no. This is when, like, they, they signed extreme long term contracts just so they can just keep the AAV down. That was the whole point of it, I think. I get it. But, like, when did you sign this deal? You signed it in uh, 2009, I think, was it, right? Is that when he signed the, the ridiculous deal? Anthony, you got to help me out here. Which one? Uh, the ridiculous deal. The 12-year deal. I think it was 08-09. Yeah. Yeah, 08-09. Yeah, 12-year deal. Yeah, uh, 5.275. 08-09 to 09-08-09 09 that season beforehand. How did he do? Clearly, again, clearly didn't prep this. <laughs> We're just kind of just doing our thing here. That's what happens when Jeffrey's not here. We kind of just, the show goes off the rails a little bit. Season before, I guess you know, almost a game, a point of game player. I'm I'm fascinated. I'm I'm blown away by the amount of guys who signed ten plus years of in deals. You would think, right? You would think it'd just be like one or two players, and then you just have like, hey, what about like ten or fifteen of them? Yeah, I'm I'm like some of these guys. I'm like, oh yeah, I forgot they were, and they were you know this long of a contract. (laughs) Like it's insane. I kind of want that to happen just because I want to keep that just because like it's like who else would do this? Like which 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 GM would be like, um, hey Matthews, you like to be paid for another fifteen more years? But here's the thing, though, you would end up having a bunch of players be like, not players, teams like rich teams just be like, well, sign you like a thirty year deal just LTR the crap out of you for the last couple of years. But then there's the whole CBA. 
Pardon? But then that's where the CBA comes in. It's like you can't just LTIR. That's a really yeah, specific like rule. You, you would have to do something like that where it's like, how do you distinguish between an LTI retire and an LTIR because you're generally hurt, right? Like the point of LTR is to replace players that like really can't play. And it's not necessarily fair to be like, well, screw you, you're out of luck, right? Yeah. That, that's the whole, I guess, issue. It's like, there are guys who are genuinely hurt, and there are guys who are just like too too old to play. Yeah, I would love to see it too. I think it'd be a lot of fun to watch that. But I don't know. Yeah, this I think this could be a whole different thing. We're we'll just talk about who signed this contract and how. <laughs> just some of these guys, I'm like, oh, okay, cool. But some of these, I'm like, wow, I forgot this actually happened. Yes, sir. All right. With that being said, this episode is actually a lot longer than I thought we'd be. I thought it would take you like 30 minutes. Gone over an hour. Great work, Anson. Um, so let, let's wrap it up here. Unless there's is there something else you want to talk about? Uh, no, no, I'm pretty good here. Oh, you know what's funny is that actually, I do. I'm looking at it right now. Um, Kovachuk signed us $15 million for 100 15-year deal for $100 million. Uh, Connor McDavid, eight years, $100 million. Well, I mean, like, if you look at the year, right? Like, what, what year was Kovalchuk's deal again? I think it was, like, 2010. He signed 2010. 2010. Right, like, 2010, look at what the salary cap was at 2010, right? Yeah. Like, cap percentage, I think, is probably a better way to look at it. Um, but, yeah, those are both ridiculous deals, right? Like, let's be honest here. I'm curious, how much did Kovalchuk actually make from it, right? Like, Yeah. No, he left after like two years, I think. Or even three one. Years, I think, yeah, three years. It was real quick. Yeah, and then like Kovalchuk's one of those weird players where I've always wondered how much they've made um, in terms of money. Just because like you have this weird contract where he made a bunch of money, but also not a bunch of money. You know what I mean? Like he was supposed to make hundred million, but didn't, and then he goes to the KHL and makes a boatload of money. Like he made just a stupid amount of money in the KHL. Oh, did he really? Okay. Yeah, he's made a stupid amount of money in the NHL and the KHL. Sorry. Um, and then he comes back and he, he makes, makes more money. More money somehow. The king. And then gets bought out, and then somehow goes for the league minimum. And now he's a free agent because he because they were like maybe he wants to come back didn't get to come back he wanted to come back for the playoffs. Yeah, this it's weird. You know what I mean? As well as like, uh, okay, that's wild. Yeah, no, I Kovalchuk's one of those interesting cases where it's like you know what if he stayed the entire frame uh, duration of his contract, what could have been? Yeah, like this was when the KHL was really well funded, and was just throwing money everywhere. Um, I believe in the KHL, he made in base earnings um, when he was playing for St. Petersburg about ten million. He was the highest paid hockey player, like a year. Um, so here, here I got a weird little website called Hockey Zone Plus where I'm looking at this weird stuff. 2013, 2014, his base salary was four years, four point four million. But sports.ru said it's probably closer to 
to 10.3 million. And then when then you kind of talk about some Sov Sport. I don't know what his website is, right? I'm just reading it off here. It's probable he earned between 15 and 20 million, and some of it was paid off the books, according to this website. That's yeah, no, I know. And sponsorship, too. Just in general. Yeah. Like, we talked earlier about the highest paid KHL players, right? Yeah, Peter Holland. And uh, I think Shipacheyev made 120 million rubles. What's that in, like, US dollars? I don't, don't worry. It's about 1.7 million, but 1.2 million in uh, 120 million rubles, right? And this was yeah. just in base salary. Right. He signed. Kovalchuk signed for 330 million rubles. So three, three times of that. Yes. It's like if you looked at Crosby when he signed his deal and you looked at McDavid making was it 12 and a half right now? Uh-huh. Imagine if Crosby came and was like, I'm making $35 million. <laughs> oh, now we have the salary cap of the NBA. Yes. Okay. You just super imagine $35 million. I don't know. Maybe we're going off top of your plate. Um, that's one of those players I'm always just like, huh, how much money did he actually make? Because it's definitely a, one of those, Because just because he went to um, the KHL, where you kind of go, it, it gets weird. You can't follow how much he made in the KHL, and the amount that he signed for the Devils, that's technically he didn't get paid for those. He just signed it, but he technically never saw well over half of that earnings. Yeah, it's just all over the place. Um, but sorry, I, I uh, kind of like took over your, 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 your the thing you want to talk about there. No, no, I'm just blown away by like, you know, McDavid is basically half the years, but same amount of money. Right. That's the perspective I was looking at. Yeah, salary cap's just gone up. And that's a good thing. Okay? Um, always want to see the game grow. But with that being said, is there anything else you want to talk about? No, no, I think we covered, the kids covered enough today, I think. All right, final last words? Uh, you know, let's see. I'm kind of excited for the expansion draft. And uh, like mid-July is going to be wild. I think it's like, I don't know the order of it. Is it like entry draft, free ag- or free agency, entry draft, and then expansion? Uh, that sounds correct. Whatever that is, it's like back to back. It's like in the same week. Yeah, I think the expansion draft is first. I don't know. Yeah, no, you're right. It's about expansion draft. That. It's expansion, and then it's like entry draft, and then it's like free agency. That would make more sense. But anyways, that... uh, so yeah, the expansion draft is on twenty is on July twenty first. Yeah, you're right. That's going to be like a great week, just in terms of everything that's going to happen. You're going to see GMs like shit themselves. Go like. You want how much for me to protect this guy? You think the prices are gonna are gonna get uh that high? No, but like seeing what happened last draft, I feel like a lot of teams are more prepared, obviously, but it's gonna be mm-hmm. it's definitely still gonna be like Ron Francis going, you know, it'd be a shame if we took person X instead of person Y unless you slide over that first round pick you got over there. No, I think teams are more aware of it and saw what happened. Where um, they're they've prepared for years more about it, and they're just like more understanding. Be like, okay, we gotta sign contracts in advance for this. 
Yeah, no, I, that's still going to be. They saw what Florida did for Vegas and were like, uh, I'm not going to become Florida. So we're just going to make sure we sign a whole bunch of free agent deals at, and right before the draft. So they don't have to be protected. That's what I feel like. They they saw what happened. They're like, we can't have that happen to us. We can't. I, I kind of want to see Seattle be good just so like everyone's like, the two newest teams in the league are demolishing everyone. And I'm pretty sure they're in the Western Conference, so it's like not even my problem. But yeah, yeah. I, I've pretty much wrapped up. You can All go right. ahead and t- say your final things. Uh, wash your damn hands. If you know how much Kovachuk has made, let me know. And uh, I gotta run, so I will uh, see you guys later. Love y'all. Thanks for listening to the Bag Fucks Podcast, part of the National Podcast Network. You want to complain about us? You can tweet us at BOP underscore POD on Twitter. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you soon.